welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches part two in his series on spiritual vital signs with this message from March 10th titled, Hope That Makes You Endure. If you were admitted to hospital, there are four main vital signs the medical staff would use to assess your health. They include the measurement of body temperature, respiratory rate, heart rate, and blood pressure. These measurements would provide critical information to the staff about your health, provide clues to possible diseases, and show progress toward your recovery. Well, just as there are vital signs that measure one's physical health, so also are the vital signs that measure one's spiritual health. They form a comprehensive way to assess our Christian living and our Christian maturity. They are the standard by which we can mark our spiritual progress. What are those spiritual vital signs, those spiritual markers? The various writers of the New Testament often group together three virtues. The virtues of faith, hope, and love. And they hold these three up as criteria for measuring how an individual and how a church is doing spiritually. Gordon Fee states that these words embrace the whole of Christian existence as believers live out the life of the Spirit in the present age, awaiting the consummation. This trilogy of markers is most clearly defined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. In these opening lines to the church in the city of Thessalonica, Paul converts these three spiritual markers into measurable standards. And so listen to how he describes these qualities. He writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we examined that first spiritual vital sign, our work of faith. One way we can determine our spiritual health is whether we have an active, dynamic, and living faith. If we profess faith in Jesus Christ, it must be reflected in our deeds and our works. True faith puts us to work. Now, remember, we are not saved by our good works, However, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians, we are saved for good works. Faith is an attitude of the inner man, and it can only be seen as it influences the actions of the one who possesses it. In other words, genuine faith is displayed through genuine works. If Christ lives within us, then it is only natural to expect that good works, good fruit will come out of us. This morning, I would have you consider with me another spiritual vital sign, another marker the writers of scriptures use to help us determine our spiritual health and progress. Going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul commended the believers in Thessalonica for their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we examine this marker, ask the Holy Spirit to assess your life and the life of our church. Ask yourself, do I have a hope that is steadfast? As a church fellowship, are we characterized with an enduring hope? Lloyd Stiley, in a sermon on hope, shared the following story. 
He says, on the morning of April 19, 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing took place when Timothy McVeigh parked his death-laden truck just a few yards away from a 100-year-old elm tree. His twisted malice killed 186 people, excuse me, 168 people, including 19 children under the age of six, wounded 850, destroyed the Alfred P. Muir Federal Building, damaged 324 other buildings within a 16-block radius, and buried this 100-year-old elm tree in rubble. The force of the blast from the 4,000-pound bomb blew away one entire side of the tree and stripped the leaves and some of the limbs from what was left. Shards of glass and debris were shot deep into the trunk of this elm. Fire from the cars parked beneath it blackened and scorched it. The tree took the full force of the blast. I want to pause at this point and ask you this morning, does this story of the 100-year-old elm tree describe your life? Are you feeling the full force of a fiery trial? Are you absorbing the blast of a life-threatening disease? Are you anguished by the shards of debris from a broken relationship? Are you being bombarded by insults because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you facing the fiery blast of termination from your job? Are you burdened with a disability? Are you overwhelmed with grief because of the passing of a loved one? Are you buried under the pain of a wayward child? If so, how do you keep going day after day or month after month? or year after year, or even decade after decade, when faced with emotional, relational, spiritual, and financial obstacles and trials? How do you keep on going when your plans blow up in your face, when your dreams don't come true, or when you are blindsided by the unexpected? What does it take to hang in there when difficulties arise? Where does this endurance come from? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're teetering on raising the white flag. You want to surrender and call it quits. Concerning your faith, you want to throw in the towel. Temptation has taken hold of you. Trouble has besieged you. You once imagined that aligning yourself with Jesus was going to include a comfortable life free from pain and sorrow and temptation. And now, because of your painful situation, that bubble has been burst. Your sorrows have clouded your vision, and all your zeal is drained away. So what can turn the tide? The resounding answer from Scripture is hope. Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians, We give thanks to God for your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that hope produces steadfastness. Just as good works are the fruit of faith, steadfastness is a fruit of hope. Therefore, in the midst of suffering, trials, and life's disappointments, Paul would say, endure in hope. In the hardest moments of your life, God wills for you and me to endure, to persevere, to remain constant, to follow through on our commitments, to maintain our testimony, and to hold steady. It is in the hardest moments of our life 
as we endure and persevere, that we give evidence and proof to the reality of God's presence. And it's for this reason that steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is a vital sign. It's a marker of our spiritual growth and progress and maturity. The word steadfastness, which Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians, actually means bearing up under a heavy load without giving in or giving up. This is staying power. It is the opposite of quitting, of letting doubt and discouragement and distraction steal away your heart when you're facing serious challenges. Often when we are in a time of trial, we pray for relief and deliverance from the trial, and that's not necessarily wrong. But in the book of Colossians, Paul prayed that believers would be strengthened with God's power so that they would be able to endure trials with joy and thankfulness. So as we pray in the midst of our difficulties, we must pray not solely for deliverance, but that we would have the ability to persevere. But such endurance or steadfastness doesn't mean that we just grit our teeth and in the face of trouble and, and gut it out. Rather, this is about moving forward with deliberate purpose and unswerving loyalty to Christ when times are tough. This is a steady determination to keep going when everything in you and around you wants to slow down or stop altogether. And this is the kind of endurance that is rooted in hope. Hope is a reservoir from which we draw the strength to keep going. Hope is what clears your head and clears your eyes and helps you to focus on the right things when trials are weighing down upon your soul. It's biblical hope that makes a difference. And hope is a tenacious thing. It's hard to stop. It, it moves one to run a little bit farther, even when all energy has been spent. It has the ability to absorb limitless amounts of pain and suffering. It's impossible to keep this kind of hope down. On the other hand, remove all hope and even the most insignificant of obstacles will seem impossible. Without hope, we have no drive, motivation, or determination. I would have you listen to what the Bible and others have to say about hope as we view this short video.
From the video, we've been reminded that biblical hope is more than just wishful thinking. Most people today use the word hope in this way, the desire for something we might not receive. For instance, we may hope for a new job or hope for good health while not knowing if we will actually receive them. After a stressful day, we may go to bed hoping for a better day tomorrow, but not knowing what tomorrow may bring. However, when the writers of scripture use the word hope, they use it in reference to a desire for something that we are certain to receive, an assurance concerning the future. And this is Christian hope. However uncertain our circumstances or however God might answer our prayers, it is a confidence that we know for certain he will work all things together for our good. Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, faith, hope is faith in the future tense. In other words, when faith looks to the future, it's called hope. Johnny Erickson Tata, who herself experienced much pain, wrote this about our future hope. The best we can hope for in this life is a not whole peak at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. As believers, what is our hope based upon? Our hope is grounded in the resurrected Lord. He is our treasure, our great reward. And as we stay heavenly minded, he will make us earthly good. He will make our present, not just our future, meaningful and purposeful. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, the apostle Peter gives us grounds upon which to stand. Listen to his words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says, as Christians were born to a living hope. In essence, Peter is saying, look, your hope is alive because Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. I was there. I saw the empty tomb. I saw the risen Lord. I know I touched him. I ate with him. I walked with him at that breakfast by the Sea of Galilee. This is a basis of our hope, the resurrected and living Lord. And he has promised that all who love him will one day be eternally in his presence. But in this passage, Peter gives five promises of hope. The first is that our hope is imperishable. 
Things of the world perish. They don't last forever, but that is not the case regarding our hope. It is imperishable, Peter says. The second thing he says is that our hope and our lives are guarded by God Almighty. We have the assurance that he holds us in the palm of his hand. We are guarded by our God, by our all-powerful, almighty God. The third promise from this passage is that the hope we have by faith leads to joy. We do not need to be disgruntled and discontent and dissatisfied and despondent in our trials and suffering because hope leads to joy. In talking about his crucifixion, Jesus said, I will tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The fourth promise is that our hope will be tested and will be proved sound. Peter tells us that God doesn't test us for our benefit or for his benefit, but rather for ours. God doesn't test you to find out how you're doing. He already knows that. He tests you so that you might know how you are doing. And once tested, assuming your faith is authentic, your faith will prove sound. And the fifth promise from this passage is that God has and will give us belief so that the belief itself will become a token of our genuine faith. You and I have a firm reason to hope. We have a risen Lord who proved himself to be alive over and over and over again. The one who conquered death is our great hope. And he has secured for us a great future. One day our hope will be fully realized. No wonder the writer of Hebrews calls hope an anchor for the soul. Picture in your mind a seasoned sailor. As he looks up the sky, he sees a storm coming. And as the sea begins to churn and the water becomes rough and choppy, the experienced sailor calmly lowers the heavy chained anchor link by link, battens down the hatches, and goes to bed for the night. He knows the storm is going to be rough, but he has faith in the grasp of the anchor. He knows his boat is going to be there in the morning. Like that sailor, we have an anchor for our lives that can help us stand fast through the storms of life. And this is a tremendous image, a picture of an anchor giving security and stability to a ship in the midst of a storm. And that is what hope does for us and more. We can remain steadfast, trusting God through present difficulties and pains because we know the outcome. Only with a secure hope rooted in the faithfulness of God, will we be able to weather the storms of life. It is our total confidence that Christ will complete the work he began in us that enables us to persevere over a lifetime. Yes, the Christian life must be empowered by faith, no doubt about that, but it also must be sustained by hope. In his commentary on the book of Hebrews, John Calvin made these comments regarding hope being the anchor for our soul. This is what he writes. There is this difference that an anchor is cast down on the sea because there is solid ground at the bottom. But our hope rises and flies aloft because it finds nothing to stand on in this world. It cannot rely on created things, but finds rest in God alone. 
Just as a cable on which the anchor hangs joins the ship itself to the ground through a long, dark gulf, so the truth of God is a chain for binding us to himself, so that no distance of place and no darkness may hinder us from cleaving to him. When we are bound in this way to God, even though we have to contend with continual storms, we are safe from the danger of shipwreck. That is why he says that the anchor is sure and steadfast. He goes on to say, it is possible for an anchor to be torn out or, or for a cable to break or for a ship to be broken in pieces by the violence of the waves. That happens on the sea. But the power of God to support us is quite different, as is also the strength of hope and the firmness of his word. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking that does nothing more than fuel otherworldly fantasies or provide an unhealthy escape from reality. Rather, it is a dynamic link to a real heavenly world from which we draw spiritual strength and sustenance for the presence. It empowers the church not to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so Paul says, steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is a vital sign of our spiritual health. It is a marker of our spiritual progress and maturity. And so here's a question to ponder. If steadfastness of hope is a marker of a Christian spiritual growth, progress, and maturity, what is your quitting quotient? What would it take to sideline you in the cause of Christ? What words or actions from others, what pains or disappointments would tip the scale? What would make you say, that's too heavy, that's too much, or that's too wrong? I cannot bear up under such pressure. I can't go on any longer. I give up. I quit. Paul would say, the measure of your hope is a measure of your spiritual maturity. And your hope is measured by your willingness and your ability to endure, to uh, persevere, to stand firm in the midst of suffering. I want to take you back to the story of the 100-year-old elm tree. No one expected it to survive. It was yet another casualty of despicable terrorism. But then something unexpected happened. The elm began to bud. Sprouts pressed through damaged bark. Green leaves pushed away gray soot. Life resurrected from an acre of death. And people noticed. The tree remodeled the resilience of the victim, so they began hanging signs of remembrance on it. They gathered under its branches when McVeigh's guilty verdict was read. And they gave that elm tree a name. The survivor tree. It had taken the full brunt of the explosion, absorbed the fury of stark evil, and yet it remained. Saplings from the survivor tree were sent to Columbine High School after the massacre there, to New York City after the September 11, 2001 attacks, to Virginia Tech after the shooting in 2007, each becoming a tangible expression and symbol of hope that something good and beautiful lies beyond the unthinkable. 
And now this sprawling, shade-bearing elm tree is the most revered symbol in Oklahoma City. It has become sacred to many. Tourists drive for miles around to see it. People pose for pictures beneath it. Arborists carefully protect it. This seemingly ordinary elm adorns posters and letterhead. Sure, there are other trees that are larger and fuller and greener, but no other tree is equally cherished or more lovingly cared for as this one, because this tree endured the full blast of the Oklahoma City bombing. Your life and my life can become tangible symbols of hope. As we remain steadfast in hope, our lives become testimonies that something good and beautiful lies beyond the unthinkable. It is in the hardest moments of our life, as we endure and persevere, that we give evidence and proof to the reality of God's presence. And so my appeal to you this morning is to live a life of hope before the world. Help the world to see what we have in Christ Jesus by being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Beyond the trial, beyond the tears, beyond the pain, something good is coming. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we suffer from gospel forgetfulness, from grace, amnesia, or spiritual dementia. Forgive us when feeling discouraged by circumstances, weighed down with our brokenness, or disheartened by unexpected news, or putting our trust in things other than you. Forgive us when, looking for satisfaction, we go to broken cisterns that hold no water. Or when looking for help, we appeal to worthless idols. We acknowledge this morning that nothing of this world can match the manifold riches we have in Jesus. So instead of trying to figure things out or be our own savior, act like fatherless orphans or give in to despair, look for someone to blame or someplace to run, we declare this day that our hope is in your steadfast, unwavering, endless, more than sufficient, peace-giving love. You aren't a powerless, disengaged God. You are our mighty, sovereign Father at work in all things for our good and your glory. Things are not as they appear to our naked eye. From your occupied throne and grace-filled heart, you're writing stories, working your plan, redeeming messes in ways we just don't see yet. Indeed, our hope is in your steadfast love not in our resolve to do a better job. Our hope is in your steadfast love, not in attempts to make up for our failures, blunders, and sins. Our hope is in your steadfast love, not in circumstances that will be less than steadfast until Jesus returns. We look to you to still our restless, wandering hearts, Abba Father. And so we pray in the most wonderful, the most hope-filled, and the most merciful name. 
the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.